0: We've heard so many stories over the last little bit about, uh, you know, emergency, urgency care and all these places not being able to open, not enough staff for the weekend. And so there's a couple of different things obviously going on. There are people who have decided to leave healthcare. There are people who are exhausted inside healthcare. care. They're uh, just the impact of all things that COVID has led us to through healthcare. At the same time, we've heard some other things that not yet, but soon the 988 phone number will come for mental health and crisis, and that's a step forward, but it's certainly probably, I'm going to speak for my guest here, I think it's safe to say, uh, about time and still too late, as grateful as we are, still way too late, Um, and there are so many things that have been moving, but yet some of them aren't new, and some of them have been wildly exaggerated to the forefront of our conversation that healthcare professionals have been dealing with for a long time. So our guest right now, assistant professor in the Department of Population Medicine and an adjunct professor in psychology department at the University of Guelph, uh, Dr. Basim Gohar is here to chat with us. Um, Welcome back Basim, it's great to see you.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me back.
0: (laughs) So where do you wanna go in this? I mean, your experience is so different because you have all of this, you know, the psychology and then the healthcare and all of the things. But I I guess I kind of land in the, um, I kind of land in two parts. I guess I land in the humanity of the exhaustion that you see people are leaving their jobs or just not going to work because they can't. And I also land in the HR, I suppose, about preparedness. So I think I'll just open that canvas up to you blankly and and say, where do you want to go today?
1: Yeah, thanks. Well, I think the first thing that I want to say is just express my frustration. Um, because as you mentioned in the introduction, this is not new. I think for many people that are reading about this, they think it's new and they think, oh, COVID did this. And while COVID did have an impact, there are a lot of underlying fundamental defects in our healthcare system. And it's only going to get worse unless, you know, we do something about it. So one thing that I can start talking about is some of the research that I did before the pandemic. So this is an unbiased type research. And I want to mention, even though I'm not going to go into it, it's not just human health, it's also animal health that is being very much affected. Mm -hmm. But there are so many variables and factors and multifactorial effects. So we're not talking about just one causes the other. So some of the research that I did um, before the pandemic was looking at What are the risk factors to sickness absenteeism in the workplace, specifically in healthcare with a focus on nurses and um, PSWs? And there was lots, statistically, there were lots of variables. So you can think of things like shift work. So if you're doing more longer shifts, nighttime shifts, um, you're more likely to go on a sick leave. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have had a sick leave in the past, you're more likely to go on another sick leave. If you have poor mental health again some of these are not earth-shattering things right but these increase statistically increase your likelihood of going on sick leave um, significantly Uh, back pain so musculoskeletal pain huge Mm. so all of these statistical effects or statistical correlates i should say because they're 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 not a causation they're a correlation or they're basically odds ratio so you're just looking at the risk factors how much is how much are uh, or how much what are the odds of actually going on a sick leave? And some of them were astronomical. Like imagine going like having an, uh, a variable that based on the results, it shows that you're three times as likely to go on a sick leave. So that was basically like back pain. If you had back pain, you're, 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 you're kind of in a lot of trouble. So then I did some qualitative work. And the, the downfall to qualitative research is that you cannot generalize from it. So we cannot say that this is what everybody's saying, unlike the statistical stuff. But when you combine the statistical results with the qualitative results, you get a strong understanding of the what statistically and the why. So here are some of the things that participants have said to me. Number one is people assume that it is your job and you're supposed to get treated like garbage. So if you had someone who's intoxicated and they punched you in the face or spit across uh, the room from you, that's a part of your job. That's pretty horrific. Imagine going to work for
0: that. Yeah. And But to, to translate that, if you yeah. are a server in a restaurant or a bartender, right? Oh, you're getting punched in the face as part of being a bartender. Well, it's not.
1: Exactly. It's absolutely not. Right. Um, there are other factors. Um, so some people said age and experience. It's actually the mix of both. So if you're an older person who's going to start becoming a nurse, you're at a greater risk. It's not necessarily that you're inexperienced or that you're you're, you're older. It's kind of like the combination of the two. Um, but there are other things that people were very frustrated about, which is that decisions are being made without actually consulting with the front-care workers. So That makes people very, very frustrated, you know, because they're the ones who are actually living this world and someone else is coming from the top, making decisions for them without having a strong understanding of what's going on. So that has been a huge stressor for people. And that's why people go on sick leave. Another thing is the cohesion or the relationship that you have in the workplace, uh, with your, with your staff. Long story short, a lot of the things that they said, there was an underlying factor that kept showing up over and over and over, which is short staff. So here's what happens. You go on a sick leave for whatever reason or you decide to retire or quit because that is also so intention to quit, intention to leave the profession. These are also not new concepts, um, contrary to some people what some people think. But what happens is sick leave is caused by sick leave
0: (laughs) so to Hmm. explain
1: further if i for example go on a sick leave right now okay in my work and let's pretend that i'm a nurse automatically someone's going to be working short-staffed or they're going to try to find someone last minute and that's actually another thing that was stressing them out is that on their off time they're anxious looking at their phone thinking that someone's going to call them say please come back to work so even when you're not when you're rested, you're not truly rested. So then when you're working short-staffed, you're going to work harder and you're going to work longer. So you're now exposing yourself to physical risks and emotional risks. And guess what? Now you become susceptible to um, sick leave yourself. And around and around and around we go. So that's that's sort of my frustration is because these are not new concepts. Right. These are things – and and I <laughs> – And this is sort of the academic world I'll I'll share because I always chuckle about this. When I write a paper and submit it for publication, the peer review process takes, you know, months. Sometimes it even takes a year from start to finish. I wrote an editorial. It got accepted the next day Uh, because it's talking about these things. It's talking about how COVID is not like it's not because of COVID that things are bad. Things have always been bad, and now we're just more vulnerable than ever. It exposed that um, people are working short staffed and that's the news. That's that's not it's not a weird thing. The recruitment and retention. So the employees might not even know one another, and when they do, it's a short period. Then somebody else is coming, so there's always new staff, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no cohesion, leadership. So when, so going back to the example of like someone punching you in the face or or whatever the case is, there's also no debriefing or at least inconsistent debriefing. So imagine you go and experience something very horrific in the workplace, and it doesn't even have to be something negative that like a patient did to you. It could be you um, witnessing something horrific. So an example is, and, and we all hate to talk about it, but if a child dies uh, in In pediatric care, for example, that person can't go and tell their partner anything because of confidentiality right? And there is sometimes and i can't I can't I'm not speaking on every uh, on behalf of every hospital or every medical uh, unit, but what I can tell you is that it's not an um, an uncommon thing that things sort of linger and there is no checking in. and that makes people after a while just completely burnt out or just asking themselves is it worth uh, doing these are the things that are are stressful
0: I think that translates to so many other places too I mean the guilt part when you're not at work is the hardest part I mean you gotta that I mean but that does land on us Um, we have to have the boundary to turn off the phone or to not answer the call or to to say no and yes it doesn't change the impact it has when the phone does ring and it's a coworker and you're like I'm so not in the capacity to answer that right now so you're not going to answer it Um, but it, it, I mean, it still impacts us, but I mean, that is our responsibility for sure. And you talk about healthcare and healthcare, kind of like your leave of absence in the leave of absence. I mean, healthcare inside healthcare is kind of like it is inside radio. I mean, the irony about the, the broadcast world in my entire career is one of the things that we are the worst at is communicating with each other. We spend so much time communicating with the outside world. We often don't communicate with each other. And it seems to be very similar in healthcare where we spend so much time you know, caring for the people outside that we don't really care for the people inside. So this this must be a much larger look at at the way humans are or the way we think we need to be and all of that. Now, it doesn't change the fact that you know, the reality is is sometimes the door's locked, right? Yeah. Like, well, and when you go there and like you go to the urgent care clinic or whatever it is, that door can be locked now because yeah. there are no people there. So while it is good news, the 988 thing, uh, is good news. It's still going to take a year and a half or whatever to get it done, two years to get it all done. Psychologists have said forever, like this constant cutting of mental health that's been happening quietly in the background, is has been resources have been dwindling for, for 15 years. And I'll say that because I know that there's a lot of psychologists that I've spoken to hesitate to say it publicly. You need to know it's dwindling. If you call some of those 1-800 numbers, there might not be anybody on the other end of it. You're and right. You need to know that. And so here we are. Now it's been exaggerated through COVID and at least people are starting to uh, wake up to the conversation. So how do we take an underlying erosion for 15 years, which is really so sad too. Can I sidebar for a second? Because really psychology in the 60s and 70s really when it really started um, and turned into a full-on profession and proper study. It was only like 25 years old and it was on such a path to help mm-hmm. us as a tool and then politicians just kick the knees right out of it. And, um, and if it weren't for people who uh, worked hard and possibly enabled the process by working too hard um, to, to make it, we wouldn't be where we are today. So how do we take, how do we take the erosion, uh, Dr. Gohar, and how do we turn that into something that's good? Cause we are seeing some traction, but we literally need to hold politicians feet to the fire because the mental health is as important in my opinion as your dental health, right? We always hear about take care of your teeth, take care of your body. Well, take care of your brain, take care of your heart, take care of your body. And how do we get there?
1: So I'll speak on some um, mental health focused uh, recommendations, but I'll also speak to a, a, a bigger level, which is kind of where a lot of my research talks. Yeah,
0: yeah overall. Seem,
1: yeah. So this might seem like it's a little bit off of what we're talking about. But I think one of the main things is that we need to explore and when I when I mean me, I mean I'm talking government. They need to explore the opportunities for people to get into healthcare better. So an example in Ontario, medical laboratory technologists, very few schools. And just so you know, most of them are eligible for retirement and they're leaving. Mm. And without having without having basically lab results, you don't have healthcare. They're the conveyor belt of healthcare. There's no ifs ands or buts about it like our system is going to collapse if we don't have enough resources and enough people trained to be able to do the labs. that's from one occupational group another occupational groups and i'll talk about it is physicians so this is anecdotal but some of my friends are physicians and they're talking about now that their caseload has almost doubled and why is that because there's fewer physicians if you take a look right now in our system the hoops that students have to do to get into medical school, it's just absolutely like astounding. Mm-hmm. Students now are going straight to med, like to grad school and doing a master's and trying to publish. So they're getting older and they're pushing, they're basically pushing their personal lives aside to become physicians. And what ends up happening is they still don't get into medical school in Canada because there are very few opportunities. It becomes a lottery system. So what do they do? They go somewhere else. They go mm-hmm. to the United States they go to Ireland, they go to the Caribbean, and they go to all these countries to study. And guess what? They often don't come back. So we need to invest in our own education. We have, we have lots of specialization, but we're not many um, like family medicine, for example. So that needs to be fixed. For the mental health piece, I think occupational health specialists and HR really need to focus from a healthcare context On a supportive work environment and that you are able to speak freely with your supervisor or your leader and have a good environment in the workplace. So one of the results that I found in my study before COVID is a supportive work environment will statistically decrease your likelihood of going on a leave. Can you imagine that? <laughs> hmm. So right now, if you're in a positive work environment, you're less likely to go on a sick leave. Um, I think there are some efforts with employee and family uh, assistance programs to uh, increase the mental health supports for yeah. their employees. Our company did that,
0: by the way. Yeah. I don't know if I told you that they they increased ours were were um, every day. If you want, that's
1: fantastic. That's mm-hmm. fantastic. I
0: hope it stays. Yeah.
1: I hope it stays and I hope it increases more and more because when you're for example working with a psychotherapist or a psychologist these people did devote years of their lives to have a specialization
0: a lot of right? years
1: <laughs> a lot of years right so you know so their hourly rate it may sound high but it's for a reason so if you get benefit and you say I have $500 of mental health like sec- like let's say for example support the psychologist that's like two visits two and a half visits Mm -hmm. So is that enough? So like, that's almost just like good enough to just build rapport. (laughs) And then by the end, say, we'll see you. And then the psychologist was like, all right, well, let's try to figure something out here to, you know, whether it's like a smaller cost or whatever. Um, So this is also something that needs to be explored. But the, the thing is that I don't think a lot of employees are genuinely aware of the coverage that they do get through their, um, EFAP plans. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, you know, HR might need to push that a little bit and say like, listen, here's what you have and here's how to access it. So these are some options as well.
0: Well, I I still think that it's gotta be, there's gotta be a metric somewhere that says that it's cheaper to improve group benefits than it is in HR to, um, to find and hire people, right? Like uh, hiring and firing is one of the most expensive parts of business (laughs) And yes. so wouldn't it make more sense to keep the people that you have and, and, and make sure that they're healthy?
1: Yeah. So you're talking about an upstream approach, right? So if you are, if you're doing more of that disease prevention and health promotion, you're going to have better outcomes. But this is another reason why our healthcare system is sort of being flushed down the toilet is because we are so intervention focused, right? right. So we're focused, oh, diabetes, we have to intervene with medication. Oh, cancer and so on and so forth but we don't do as much on prevention okay yeah. when was the last time that you saw a commercial about healthy eating and healthy uh, you know fitness and and, and all these things yep. very few and far but that's that is what we need to actually focus on is just to prevent rather than to intervene cuz prevention is a lot cheaper and long term has better outcomes than intervening but because we're getting sicker we're getting, we're, are, are, we're more overweight, and among other things, right, we have to put a lot of the money on the interventions.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so true. It's so, uh, I mean, exactly the case, cause and effect, right? And, um, and my belief, personal belief system just says, imagine what the world looks like if we could just have healthy humans and start it with... Healthy parents who parent healthy kids and kids who go to school. I mean, teachers go through the same thing you're talking about, right? Politicians write curriculums. Teachers don't write curriculums. And if teachers could write curriculums um, and they're the experts at it, imagine what that looks like. So, I mean, this is a fundamental problem um, that we're seeing. Well, we'll keep the conversation alive. We need to. Um, It's the only thing we can do because when we hear about all these stories that roll through the news about this urgent care clinic is not open this week and this person mental health uh, negative outcome all of those things. Uh, we also opioids is another great example, right? And I'm not judging people who use opioids, but for the most part, they use opioids, A, for a party or B, for escapism, distraction and a chance to maybe uh, ease the pain a little bit. So what if the pain could go away? Um, I guess, then the uh, the use of opioids changes really quick. So we, this is it's a generational problem, but it has to start today. And I really appreciate uh, you being here and sharing your honest thoughts about this. It's so important.
1: Thank you so much for having me, and I just want to uh, to any healthcare worker listening, whether you're a pharmacist, uh, lab technologist, physician, nurse, P.S.W., um, respiratory therapist, occupational therapist, psychologist, any any sort of healthcare worker. I do thank you so much for everything that you have done pre-pandemic, during pandemic, and I hope to say post-pandemic.